Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we talk about pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. The duo from It's My Screen Time 2 is back, and today we're talking about Troop Beverly Hills. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. Troop Beverly Hills first released on March 24th, 1989 and stars Shelley Long and Craig T. Nelson. But before we dive in, let me reintroduce you to my guests. Deborah and Katie co-host the podcast, It's My Screen Time 2, where they review TV and movies made for kids. Their show is funny and relatable because parents everywhere have been sucked into the vortex of kids and TV, and their podcast makes you feel less alone about hating it or loving it. There's some good kid <laughs> stuff out there. You don't know. If you've been here a while, you might remember them from season two episodes, Sister Act, and they also came back for Little Women. Welcome back to the show, Deborah and Katie. Thanks so Thank much for, for having, having us. us. I love, I've been, like I said, I've been listening to your podcast lately. Um, I think it was the episode two weeks ago. How long has it been? Hold on. Let me consult my, let me, let me consult my podcast library. Cause if without that, I have no idea what I'm listening to. Mm-hmm. Oh, Miss Marvel. So I listened to so that was a while ago. That wasn't the last, the most recent episode. So I listened to that and I thought, okay, I'm going to add that to my queue because I feel like I need to watch this now. <laughs> that episode was so fun. <laughs> yeah. It felt like you guys were having a um, fun doing it too. So. Okay, so let's do a quick summary of Troop Beverly Hills to refresh everyone's memory. And I really love just taking summaries from Google because I think it's hilarious these days. <laughs> Here we go. With her marriage breaking up, Beverly Hills housewife Phyllis Neffler boosts her self-esteem by leading a local troop of wilderness girls. Although Phyllis's version of roughing it is spending the night at the Beverly Hills Hotel that suits her privileged troop members just fine. Unfortunately, when Phyllis falls afoul of a rival leader, the girls are threatened with having their group dissolved unless they can prove their wilderness skills at the annual jamboree. At the time, the New York Times had this to say. Quote, so Troop Beverly Hills, which opened yesterday at the Warner and other theaters, is only fleetingly amusing, but Miss Long does make it fun for a while, tossing her carrot-colored hair and modeling a succession of fabulously awful outfits by Theodora Van Runkel. She makes the story's predictable moves in a refreshingly trim, buoyant way end quote. But before we get into Troop Beverly Hills, since season four is all about wealthy women in the media, I'm just wondering, do you remember what you thought of like rich or wealthy women or what messages you received around them when you were a kid? Okay. First of all, I love your topic. Oh, this thank you. Deborah. I'm like fast. I, I'm looking forward to the whole season. Um, and I can start Katie, if that's okay. I remember signifiers. I'm a child of the eighties and nineties, like fur coats, gold jewelry, mansions, mansion with a pool house pool. Um, like basically Ivanka Trump is yeah. like my, <laughs> what I like from my ch childhood, if my imagination had to conjure up a image of a wealthy woman from that time period. Yeah. And it wasn't even necessarily aspirational. It was oh. just like, this is how rich people live, mm -hmm. I guess. Not even like, this is something you can achieve. And I have something more, but I want to hear from Katie. Well, I'm really glad that you brought up Ivanka Trunk, Trunk? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ivanka Trump and all these images. 
because I was racking my brain to try and think of wealthy women and all I could come up with were wealthy children. So the ones that my uh, memory immediately reached for were the leads in The Secret Garden and The Little Princess. Yes, I love them both. And how, you know, they were both wealthy, but they essentially had to lose all of their wealth or at least all of their privilege in order to be worthy heroines of their own stories. Mm. Um, so that's what I initially came up with. And then I also, of course, thought of Nellie Olson from Little House on the Prairie. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, good one. I about Nellie. <laughs> Insufferable. Yes. Uh-huh. Insufferable. <laughs> If she could have had a pool at a pool house, she would have. Uh, yeah, I believe that in a heartbeat. <laughs> what else did you have to add, Deborah? Okay, another thing, because I kept when we were watching Beverly, True Beverly Hills, um, because she came into her wealth via her husband, it made me think of, well, were there self-made rich women? Mm. Because Phyllis's husband is a self-made rich man, mm-hmm. but I cannot really in the five minutes I spent thinking about it, come <laughs> up with like a good example. And I feel like in the 1990s, there were a lot because Oprah mm-hmm. just took off. And she, to me is like the epitome of the, um, billionaire businesswoman yeah. from the United States. Yeah. You actually have a really good point about marrying into wealth. Um, and that be, being sort of um, what, like, that's the aspiration, right? In another episode I recorded recently, we talked about Almost Famous. Well, we didn't specifically talk about Almost Famous, but my guest had said something that reminded me of, of Almost Famous. I think we were talking about Sex in the City. And Kate Hudson's character says to William Miller, you know, she's like, my mother always said, marry up and marry well. And so that movie takes place in 19, early 1970s. So, you know, she's coming from, her mother's coming from a generation of probably marrying in the forties or fifties, you know? And so when you think about it in context that way too, you're like, that's probably the only way women feel like they could ever have access to anything like that is through marriage. And it's interesting how that kind of keeps coming up when I'm having these conversations with people as they come on the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been talking and thinking a lot about Austin adaptations lately. Mm. There's a new one on Netflix, which I have not watched. Has anyone watched Persuasion? Uh huh. Yeah, no. and I really want the um, time back. Actually, oh, it's so, oh. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, it, Henry Golding is just so much fun to look at, you know. But that was kind of the extent for me. When bad movies happen to good people, but yeah. I mean, that is the gist of Austin's whole oeuvre, right? Like mm-hmm. that is how these women achieve success in their lives is through marrying a rich man. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice to see somebody actually do persuasion in a really good adaptation in a modern through like a modern cinematic with all that we have. I know that it's the Regency era, but still, you know what I mean? Like Bridgerton has shown us that you can still have beautiful things, even though it's 1813. (laughs) (laughs) And they're re-releasing a version of Pride and Prejudice every other year. Like, Have you ever, I have never seen a movie version of Persuasion. I don't think I have either, actually, now that you think, now that you say something. We always joke in my literary circles that, <laughs> so embarrassing, because I actually really respect both of you, um, but we always joke that Persuasion is Austin's horniest novel, so we'd actually like <laughs> to see an adaptation that is just as steamy. <laughs> like, her version of steam needs justice. <laughs> I'm with you there. Do you think they thought they were doing that at Netflix? Mm, That's a great question. I think the person who adapted has never read Austin. Gotcha. Because the dialogue is so boring. (laughs) Oh, especially compared to like the way Austin gives you dialogue and just the way she narrates, you're just like, okay. (laughs) And then bless Dakota Johnson's heart, but British accents I don't know if she worked with a dialogue coach but there were several moments where she like dropped out of the accent so it was just like removes you from the scenario because everyone's Aww. very British in the show <laughs> so you're just like how am I supposed to believe that you are an upper or I don't even think they're aristocracy but you know like the next next notch down if you don't have that very quaffed polished you could run with the royals accent right 
Yeah, the accent is so important. Because mm-hmm. it's such a huge thing with the class issue in England. Like that's how you can always yeah. tell where someone's from, what kind of class they are, da da da. And even missing that nuance was kind of a bummer. I don't know. <laughs> Persuasion is also watch favorite. it to hate watch it. But. Yes, actually, <laughs> I support that decision. <laughs> Okay, so when we first meet Phyllis Neffler, played by Shelley Long, she is shopping and spending an extreme dollar amount, even by today's standards. She's even negotiating deals for these items. Roger Ebert gave this film two stars, but as I've mentioned before on the show, after reading Roger Ebert in excess, I think he might be a little bit of a misogynist, Mm. but he had this to say. Quote, instead of being a merciless evisceration of the lifestyle of the rich, it's one, it's a little morality play in which Long transforms herself into a warm and useful person. Nobody within a mile of this project seems to have possessed an ounce of irony. End quote. But the intended audience for this film isn't necessarily grown men. So I'm curious, or we should actually start with, what are your overall thoughts of this movie? Deborah, you want me to start? Sure. It's such a weird vibe <laughs> from today's lens. Really, it is. Aren't you sick of being looked down on because of your wealth? It was just really hard for grown-up Katie to wrap her head around. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like you would see anything like that today. Uh, it, I really thought it was just a fun bit of fluff. And I was totally there for the outfits. It really, it was a good reminder that parents really weren't screening much of what we were watching in the 80s. (laughs) Um, I found myself trying really hard to impose a moral on the movie, which is something that, Deborah, I know you and I talk about so much on our podcast because modern movies made for kids love to do this. Mm -hmm. They all do it. They can't help it. But in the 80s, it was less of an imperative and I found it hard to put myself in that brain space where I didn't have to be thinking about what it was saying in a larger sense. Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I loved this movie. It was, in my opinion, made for preteen girls yeah. living in rural Minnesota. <laughs> who, the only thing to do was to have slumber parties and stay up late watching Shelley Long. Um, and I don't like the review you read, Julia said that the fashions were like ridiculous or something, Uh but like when I was a kid, I thought they were like the height of glamour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I totally understand that because when I read that, I was like, were they awful? I feel like every movie one, I feel like every movie from the eighties, especially the late eighties after Madonna exploded, you sort of had this like kind of fashion that you're just like oh man we're all gonna be so embarrassed in 20 years (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it would just you know Beverly Hills Rodeo Drive it's the height of the fashion industry for the west coast like why did you think these were bad right um I did think it was interesting coming from the 1980s when like was it the Gordon Getgo guy who's like greed is good I wondered if so Phyllis Neffler is, her husband is really critical of her and her, um, she's really down on herself because she's never like achieved anything, but she put her husband through law school and she is a very beautiful woman. And that's like her quote unquote job Mm -hmm. now that her husband is really wealthy and like she takes wonderful care of her daughter I just thought it was kind of a misogynistic plot to have her because she is fitting into where she's supposed to be in the like if you're doing like a Marxist reading of a like the mode of production she's her job is to buy stuff and she's really good at it maybe a part of her job is to be there so the men can say, oh, aren't our useless wives just spending our money at the shopping mall? And they can elbow each other and bond mm-hmm. in their macho way over that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's re- I mean, like that's very clear from the beginning when she's like, oh, this is $5,000. This is I'll buy all of these shoes, but those two pair and then makes that comment when she comes home. She's like, the best part about spending all this money is he won't get the credit card bill until after the divorce is final. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think I like that too, but not so, I don't know what the word is, but I'll do that too. The math in my head. Okay. When is the statement going to come? If I buy it, I need to buy this. Like that kind of math does exist mm-hmm. in right. the world of credit card use, but it's just so grandiose in her world and like, mm-hmm. but to your point, Deborah, about how like she put him through school and she was supportive, you know, of all those things, like so many women have done that over the last few generations and and you're right they just don't get the credit they deserve for being in that backbone keeping the family going so you know husband can be out making his making himself you know a worthy opponent in the world of whatever it is to be the most successful of whatever the industry is Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop thinking about how this movie would be different if we made it today and I think that would be one thing we would see emphasized more and more is her insecurity about the class issues because Mm -hmm. yeah she worked to put her husband through law school but he wasn't working as a lawyer he sold cars Mm -hmm. so it's not as if she was hobnobbing with Hollywood elite and her husband was a movie producer like there are clearly strata involved there and I feel like maybe there would have been slash perhaps could should have been Uh, more of an exploration about how a lot of her conspicuous consumption was her trying to live up to this ideal of Mm. the place that they had made for themselves in society, not just for herself, but for her husband as well. Very good point. That is a good point. And they do sort of hobnob with other people. And what's interesting too, I thought was when you talked about how she's a really good mom, one of the things that stood out to me about this movie was how uninvolved all of the other parents were with their kids mm-hmm. like the little girl whose parents went to what was it Morocco for on her, her birth on her birthday <laughs> and then they came Chica. back and they're like, yeah they're, she, they're like oh thank you so much for taking care of her on her birth we just couldn't pass up a trip to Mar- or some garbage like that and you're just like it was that what how do you like you she even says like oh I sometimes I can't remember dates first of all how do you forget the most painful physically painful day of your life (laughs) right (laughs) like like that is seared into my memory anyway um and it just made me sad for for it was cheetah right is that what you said Mm -hmm. it made me sad for her because it's you know you're a kid birthdays are supposed to be big and special and grandiose and your family obviously has the means to do something extravagant and here you are at your troop leader's house sad and she's making mm-hmm. up for it. She's the one who's like making you feel special. I did like that humanizing um, factor to her or how mm-hmm. she was really good at making the girls feel really, really special all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users while you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture. It makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest. Writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. So that leads us into, do you think, like, given Roger Ebert's um, review, do you think this movie should have taken a merciless evisceration of the lifestyles of the rich and famous? Oh, it it would today. 
Mm-hmm. Should it have? I don't, the 80s were such a weird time. It feels very of a piece with the other things that were being made then. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a timeless subject is eviscerating the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Cause I mean, just this week, there was the story about the celebrity uh, private jets, oh, carbon mm-hmm. consumption, you know, like it's probably for as long as capitalism has existed, like yeah. the little people love to skewer the, <laughs> the people who live in the big estate up on the hill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, how like there's ways now that sort of, it's like on the one hand, wealth has been, wealth kind of is democratized because the internet has changed the game for so many people. Like if Mm -hmm. you hit the right numbers, you can have like certain levels of wealth because of like, you have the right subscribers on YouTube or like you can convert users on Instagram for whatever. But then at the same time, like it's still, it's still sort of has created like a huge or a bigger gap between everybody because it's still like you still have to know what you're doing on the internet you still have to have the time to devote there still has to be somebody there supporting you like with all these kids who have like a million subscribers on youtube that's sustainable income provided you don't lose your your subscribers right but when people are in my age bracket are like jealous of those kids it's like well they don't have bills mom and dad are worried about all that stuff for them they have the time it's sort of like weight loss a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to be within this very tiny acceptable range. But if you like get too thin, then people are mad. Or if you get too fat, then people are also mad. Yeah. And like, I don't know, for people in the public eye, if they have too much wealth, people love to skewer them. And then if they lose all their money in a crypto scheme or Bernie that's Madoff a huge conversation Ponzi scheme, right now then too, people yeah. have all this schadenfreude about. <laughs> yeah. Did any of the families, like, did any of the family storylines, did you, we get different snippets from everybody, right? Like there's the actor mm-hmm. who he hasn't acted in a while. He doesn't have the money to pay for the funds, but they're still trying to play rich. There's mm-hmm. the family that gets pulled over and the guy's like, you're not writing me a ticket. Like, how dare you even think you lowly cop could write me, very wealthy man, a ticket? Um, those are the two that stand out to me the most. But did any of the did any of the other families stand out to you? Okay, I wondered if they, which I would not have caught this as a kid, but I wondered if they were based sort of on real people. Like, mm. there's the young girl who is riding in the Jeep and her dad's the famous film director I wonder is that supposed to be Sofia Coppola or is it based on her oh that's an interesting thought you guys I actually just read that the character Phyllis Neffler is based on a real woman (gasps) who uh like she wrote a series of I don't know articles or maybe even a book about her time leading her daughter's Beverly Hills Girl Scout troop and the book or the articles were like a series of vignettes about the children of the rich and famous oh my gosh you'll have to she also just passed away last year oh Oh. that's so fascinating well there's the dictator the daughter Mm -hmm. of the dictator and wikipedia said they're based on uh ferdinand and imelda marcos oh interesting but that's the only one that i could find that was based on real Mm-hmm. oh and then there's the little girl that's the child actor which <laughs> we'll get to cameos in a second but like <laughs> like it was that now that you say that out loud I could see how that would be true and then Katie confirms it look at that <laughs> yeah like is her mom like a Danielle Steele I don't know I can't think of the other big romance writer mm-hmm and Danielle Steele is huge back then too. I mean, she's still mm-hmm. cranking out books now or her name is, I don't know what her deal is. I haven't looked into her lately, but sorry, Katie, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, Deborah, you talked about this movie make, being specifically made for preteen Midwestern kids having sleepovers. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> all of those family vignettes were exactly what a preteen Midwestern kid would think of as people who lived in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> 
but that concept of making content specifically for tweens didn't really exist in the in the 1980s but this still very much has like the feel of like your parents can enjoy it unless they're Roger Ebert and like your kids will enjoy it too. Cause a lot of the, so let's move into the cameos. Cause a lot of the cameos, I don't think I got them as a kid necessarily, no. but now as I mean, I think Pee Wee Herman makes a cameo. I should have written them down. And that was the only one that was like, Oh my gosh. But the rest of them, like now as an adult, I was like, Oh my goodness like, uh-huh. hello celebrity that I didn't notice when I was 10 years old right were there any that you were like oh my gosh well Robin Leach mm-hmm. at that very end well not the lifestyle is of the rich and famous guy for sure. yeah which I thought was brilliant did you ever watch that show I did yeah I mean, his voice is so iconic. I don't mm-hmm. think I'd ever actually seen him before, but yeah. <laughs> you said, Deborah, that you didn't feel like it was aspirational, like watching the movie as a teen at home or a preteen at home, right? <clears throat> um, I guess I thought like the the Ivanka Trump aesthetic wasn't aspirational. Okay. I think okay. I definitely wanted to live in true. Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills world when I was a kid for sure yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and what I think that's interesting because a lot of times you know when we do sort of see wealth represented especially like pre-1997 it is sort of that big eccentric here's here's the way people live and there isn't really like a every man could be like this too idea like mm-hmm. the every man could be like this too falls on the weight of men but not for women is what I've noticed. Interesting. Yeah. Were either of you ever Girl Scouts? Oh yeah. Shortly. <laughs> like I think I just made the transition from Brownie to Girl Scout and I may- I was maybe a Girl Scout for a year. Yeah. At very, I- very briefly. I didn't do Girl Scouts. So I'm like, all of this is fantasy to me. I'm like, cookies, you're clearly based on Girl Scouts. Like that's when it clicked for me. It was like, oh, these are Girl Scouts, but they kept calling them something else. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they just couldn't get the right. Mm-hmm. They didn't want their image pilloried like that. Right, right. One of the questions that I had kind of typed in and then I realized now I'm looking at, I deleted um, the gal from, oh my gosh, from the cop show. <clears throat> that played the mean troop leader who was desperate to catch Phyllis in any sort of nefarious activities or what yeah. she deemed nefarious activities. Right, Velda. Velda, that's her name. <laughs> like I grappled with their relationship a little bit because I'm currently in this phase of like women who sort of are out to get other women are still like um, beholden to the patriarchy because they don't know life is better outside. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's right. So I was, so their dynamic was interesting to me because she's so focused on catching Troop Beverly Hills in the wrong that it just kind of like, that felt very tropey to me. And then, and then I had this moment of like, she's very much the villain of the movie. Yeah. very And much. like such a villain. And but the she- thing that what breaks my heart as a parent watching it is like she's leading her daughter's troop and she keeps saying cut that mom business yeah. she doesn't want her daughter to call her mom oh, oh that was kind of heartbreaking <laughs> yeah but Katie, then the daughter really sticks it to her at the end yeah big time Katie what were you gonna say I don't think this movie would be made today without that redemption arc for Velda. Mm. There would have been some turn at the end where she proved herself to have more of a heart. She made up with Phyllis somehow. There would have been some little button on it so that she would have been redeemed. Yeah, yeah. And what is her beef with Phyllis? Is it because she's rich? Or because she messes with the uniform or because she thinks she's frivolous because she's rich. So I took it as because she was frivolous because she's rich. Like rich people can come in and do whatever they want. And this is the rules and we have to follow the rules and the rules are very important. And there's rules for a reason kind of tone. But I don't Mm. know if that's, I don't know if that's how you guys took it. Yeah, which is another way that I think those class issues could have been made more explicit. I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly these rules are very important to Velda and maybe, and I don't know much about the 
Beverly Hills in the suburb situation, if maybe the suburb that they were from, the Red Feathers, was like less wealthy. And then maybe they felt like this was their thing, that they could do wilderness scouts, even though they couldn't, I don't know, appraise multi-carat diamonds <laughs> yeah. in a jeweler shop. Uh, that that would have, from, from my perspective as an adult, been an interesting angle to look at a little bit more me trying to impose some sort of moral on this story that didn't need one because it was the freewheeling 80s we didn't need that yeah yeah well it's interesting too I wonder when that transition kind of happened between hey we're just making this movie to sort of make a movie we're not doing a heavy-handed message it's light-hearted fun to everything has to have that sweet little button you need to have to learn something at the end of it because when I think about some of the movies I loved as a kid you know well, I guess Mighty Ducks sort of had a message, but like three ninjas literally is just three kids beating up a bunch of bad guys. Like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> There's no moral to that story. <laughs> right. Do you Richie think it was- Rich, you know, Kevin. <laughs> oh my gosh, Kevin Richie Rich, yes. Didn't have, a- there was no moral there. He's just, he's been kidnapped. They've got to save him. <laughs> Sorry, Katie, I cut you off. Do you think it was maybe some sort of reaction to the satanic panic where like every piece of pop culture was accused of corrupting children and corrupting society in these like weird subconscious ways that people felt like, oh, if we're going to make family products, we have to be super explicit about these positive messages that we're putting out just so no one could get any ideas that were, you know, promoting the wrong messages that is really interesting that you say that because I just watched was it in the Victoria's Secret documentary that I just watched many um docuseries but there was a group an organization that you know had a website I mean for like the mid 90s it was a website (laughs) where you could like go in and file claims against entertainment tv shows oh no you know what it was it was the Janet Jackson Justin Timberlake Oh, the next no. Yeah. And the New York Times does all these like little mini documentaries about big things in pop culture. Like they did the Free Britney one. And so I was watching the Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake one recently. And this guy was like, we actively had minimal complaints, you know, through this website. Cause I don't think a lot of people knew who they were. And then when that happened, I want to say, was it 05 or four, somewhere around there? He like, their website blew up and so he took more of an active role of like lobbying for like better more appropriate content for families and children on television and like was he behind the whole delay too I don't remember but a lot of what his work was was to be like that that's exactly you know what you were saying like this is immoral everything is immoral and we're just a corrupt immoral country now like where are our morals and you're just like okay (laughs) so maybe that's part of it too it's so interesting how heavy-handed some messages are for not even just kids shows and adult shows too now you're just like okay (laughs) I could have gotten there on my own Yeah. yeah they're always there yeah. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member, become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. So I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you think this movie has aged over time? Guys, guys, a lot of the clothes would pass muster right now. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) I loved it as a period piece because Mm -hmm. like the 
the clothes, the hair, like the mauve carpeting in the oh mansion and mansion are so great. Um, I was expecting, I had like, whenever I watch things that I loved as a child or read things that I loved as a child, I'm like frequently disappointed. So I went into this with low expectations, but I ended up thinking it was really pretty good. Mm -hmm. Like from a character development standpoint, Phyllis starts out one lady, she goes through a bunch of stuff and like, she comes out the other end and she has changed, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of what a movie main character is supposed to do. And then I thought the plot was really well done. Like I was never bored. I was into it the whole time. And, you know, I have like a lot of pleasant nostalgia for this movie. So I thought it was pretty good. I highly disagree with Roger Ebert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought the acting was really fun. Like Shelley Long, she's a comedic genius. Mm -hmm. Yes. The physical comedy was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It made me want to watch, um, some old cheers episodes although i'd have to go in with low expectations for those as well yeah yeah I oh, early cheers, cheers is still good yeah it's pretty funny is it okay yeah yeah just you know it's it's funny to watch linear television from before streaming days because there's no thought to consistency about story mm-hmm. <laughs> and like storyline and that's the best part i think about shows from the 80s because you're just like wait a minute didn't Jack and Diane just have this problem? (laughs) 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 Um, How did you two think that it has aged over time? I'm curious. I'll let Katie go first. It was just kind of refreshing to see this really small message be made the plot of the entire movie. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. idea that it can be fulfilling for Shelley Long to be kind in small ways to a small group of people. And she doesn't have to worry about doing the thing. Like she can still make meaningful change in small ways. I thought that was really lovely. And it's not a message. And here I am again, searching for a message, but it's not something that we see celebrated in pop culture that much anymore, particularly when it comes to images and depictions of the wealthy. I feel Mm -hmm. like the only way they can be redeemed in today's pop culture is to renounce their wealth or Mm -hmm. to just do something, to do something world-changing with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, my son and I had this conversation about how movies that have a very simple plot, but are still very enjoyable, don't really exist anymore. And and Trip Beverly Hills falls into that category. Like it's very clear what's going to be happening throughout the whole movie, but you still enjoy it. You still walk away feeling like heart warm. You still feel like you kind of get one of the girls, even if you're not wealthy, like you still identify with something about one of the girls. You have a loving mother, your parents forgot your birthday, like something. Right. Um, And just that camaraderie of like, you have a girl group that probably isn't going to last forever, but you remember that feeling too, from when you were a kid. Cause you had, oh, I don't know, maybe some of our friends at home didn't have, I don't know, but you know, you, there's something there that still feels relatable, even though they're excessively wealthy and live in Beverly Hills and have this sort of glamorous California lifestyle. And I think Roger Ebert missed the point. I think that's, right. that's, you know, he, that was the whole intention was to show Shelley Long, Phyllis Nelfler. To, to go from sort of superficial housewife to uncover that she does have layers and she does care mm-hmm. and making that like what Katie said, making that impactful change. Like to me, that was the message. Like even you can make a small change in someone's life for the better. <laughs> <laughs> I would show it to my niece. I think she's eight. <laughs> oh yeah. She's the perfect age. Yeah. Cause I don't think there's anything in it that isn't Cause you know, some stuff from the eighties, you're like, oh my God, I forgot about this scene. Like, whoops, <laughs> like, I should have waited a few years, but I didn't feel like that about this movie. I felt like it's age appropriate for all. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was maybe a swear word or two. Mm. Yeah. Lots yeah. of S words and oh. also a lot of casual smoking. A lot, a lot. Oh, oh yeah. She yeah. smokes for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> Which is so wild. She's like smoking in a clothing store. Yeah. (laughs) And I think in the meeting too, of all the troop leaders. Uh Yes. That one kind of blew my mind (laughs) because you would never, right? Like, you know, you would never 
smoke in a no. room of people who are non-smokers, at least not now. No. Certainly not in a kid's organization. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they outlawed smoking inside in California in 1992. So it's only been 30 years. Okay. Which is which is kind of wild to me because they're so like it's so normal now. But then when I do see things from like the 80s and 90s, you're just like, oh yeah, it was normal for everyone to smoke. Got it. Yeah. It happened a did. lot later in the Midwest. Was it like the early 2000s, maybe even? Mm-hmm, I think so. Really? Yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. California is always kind of first when it comes to like making tight rules and then everyone get and then people who hate it get angry and call it a nanny state. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on the vanguard for us. Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just the test. The, we're the betas test to see if it works. <laughs> but your lungs are so much healthier from like the strict emission standards and yeah. indoor clean air. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we just, our governor just said something to the effect of like, all cars need to be electric by, I forget what year he said. And like all, this, all these people, we have such a huge called car culture where I am Yeah, classic cars. I mean, cla- I mean like not 1990s classic cars. I'm talking like, I don't even know how they find parts and whether or not the gas we make still is good for these cars, classic cars. So they kind of threw their heads back and howled. Um, but you know, part of me is just like, well, I don't really like the smell of your car. So I'm not mad. (laughs) (laughs) One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple podcasts, sharing with other users while you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by team pop culture makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest. Writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. Did I already ask you, did we really get into the cameos? Did I already ask you who your favorite cameo was? We didn't oh. fully talk about them, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. You, okay, let's get back into the cameos. Were there any that you knew as a kid? I think the only one I recognized as a famous person as a kid was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Annette Funicello. Oh, yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, Annette Funicello for sure. Yeah. And I loved how young Kareem was. you're so cute he probably doesn't want to be called cute but (laughs) are you kidding you would love to be called cute by women our age oh that's true that's true (laughs) I follow him on Instagram it's delightful I'm I mean he probably has somebody helping him but still it's just like he's so positive and he's just got only nice things to say about people it's just so lovely (laughs) (laughs) what about you Deborah um, those were only the only cameos that I noticed. I loved the cast. Yeah, um, the cast was great. All those kids had were are it were in popular TV shows in the eighties, mm-hmm. right? Like I was like, oh, I don't remember your name, but your face and your hairstyle looks very familiar. What were you in? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tori Spelling was that before plastic surgery? Tori Spelling? Yeah. I didn't yeah. recognize her. I had to read about it after the fact. I didn't realize that was her. Yeah. Yeah. It's always weird to see um, Tori Spelling pre 
um anyway and, and I thought she was yeah. so cute because like when she I showed up and yeah, when she showed same. up and saved by the bell too you're just like why well, crawl um then um the girl who played uh Tressa she ended up on saved by the bell also oh because I was like why does your voice sound familiar she was in the earlier seasons before they got to high school oh okay. which which girl was that she played hold on let me pull up IMDb she played Tessa de Blasio her name is Heather Hopper okay um so that was kind of a fun one to recognize her because I was like, oh, I, and because I personally, I loved Saved by the Bell the early years more than I loved the high school years. <laughs> like yeah. the Miss Bliss years? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Good morning, Miss Bliss. Oh. Um, and then there was Kelly Martin. Mm-hmm. She I recognized. She was on that. Um, oh, that family show with Corky. Mm-hmm. She was I can sing Life Goes song. On. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like all the girls at the time were all pretty famous for their age because of all the things that they were doing mm-hmm. for um, television at that point, which was a lot of fun to see. Um, and then I'm getting into the cast. I should have written it down. This is what happens when you write scripts on your lunch break. <laughs> what about Cheech Marin? Oh my gosh, that's yes, that one. I was like, "Hey, Cheech, <laughs> what definitely are you not one I picked up as a preteen." No, but... <laughs> I missed that one. Who was he? He was at the, the end. He, it was like a "Have you met this person?" kind of situation. Oh, at the oh, okay, at the at dance. The, yeah, at the dance. Yeah, okay. that was fun to see. And like you, Katie, I, I wouldn't. I had no idea as a kid, <laughs> none whatsoever. Like that was no. <laughs> Well, I had no idea as a adult lady. (laughs) (laughs) I did love seeing young Craig T. Nelson because we see so much of it. Like that's his, I think coach was on air at that point. He had such a dad bod. Talk about people that wouldn't have been cast in those roles now. Right. (laughs) He was great and adorable, but it was just a different aesthetic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My friend and I actually were talking about that when she came on for say anything, the say anything episode, we were talking about how like nowadays you have to be very fit and tight to play any kind of role on anything in Hollywood. And it's so like, it's not disturbing. It's not the word, but it just takes you completely out of the story sometimes because at least like within say anything, they all look like high school kids you could have gone to high school with. Mm-hmm. And now teenage high school boys have muscles that are not achievable for a 17 year old, <laughs> like right. physically unable to achieve at 17. Um, and same with, with girls too, but we've always had issues with girls and image issues with women in our country. Like that's not a new thing, but I'm I learning. I just feel like a lot of people flip that around and say, well, it's good that we're finally expecting male actors to conform to these impossible beauty standards to play roles in TV and movies in a way that we've always expected that of women. I'm more of the mind that like, can we just agree that it sucks for everybody (laughs) instead of bringing everyone up to this impossible standard? Yeah, absolutely. My friend and I talk about the Kardashian glow up too. Like we'll see these young girls who were like big stars on Nickelodeon and Disney you know, 10, 12 years ago, and they were so cute. And you could see that they were growing into beautiful women. They disappear for a year. And then suddenly they look like they are the long lost Kardashian sister. And you're just kind of like, man, like whatever you want to do to your body, it's your body. But also like beauty styles are trends. Yeah. This will change. I fell into a really deep rabbit hole of Google images after I watched one of the descendants movies, Mm -hmm. like one of the descendants three because dove cameron i think her name oh uh uh-huh she her look has really changed and she was very adorable and now she's very beautiful but very um modified yeah yeah and that's hard i see that i don't know if your kids are old enough yet to have that sort of negative exposure, Katie, but I think your kids are, Deborah, your kids are like that tween age, right? Yeah. 12. My oldest is 12. So he definitely is. I noticed. Could point that out. 
Mm -hmm. And I noticed that with my son too, because I'm coming from the mindset of having been a teen girl, you know, that product of the Victoria's Secret era where you're just like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so skinny. It was not healthy. Like nobody was around to say like, that's bad. Mm -hmm. um, and no one was really challenging it except for like the other side of the coin that was constantly getting discredited. And it didn't occur to me that there could be any sort of body dysmorphia that could exist in my child because he's male until he said something about like baseball players don't look like that at high school. And I thought, cause he was like a freshman, I him. think. Yeah. yeah that's good. good that that's, that. that's awesome. Yeah. I was like, let's have this conversation. Let's unpack that. Like yeah. what do high school kids look like now? And how does this make you feel seeing like this representation? And I think we had a pretty good conversation. He, I mean, he is focused on health and, and physical fitness, but I think that's more of a because now we know all the benefits for mental health. So mm -hmm. I think that's more focused on that rather than being like, I need to build muscle. <laughs> <laughs> if you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member, become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email Pop culture makes me jealous at gmail.com to get started. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. Okay, so last question. Do you think when you were a kid that this movie informed your opinions, subtle or otherwise, about wealthy, powerful women? Okay, I have a very specific one. Okay, um, when Phyllis is kind of really down on herself and she is laying in bed and she's having like a bender on like two liter bottles of Evian water. Yeah. She's got a case of Evian and her, her friend comes into her room and is like picking up empty bottles and like clearly they're just like a stand-in for wine because um, for you know, whatever reason they can't show her actually drinking alcohol. But I always thought when I was like a kid, adolescent, even in my twenties, that Evian was like the classiest yes. thing you could drink that you could buy <laughs> at a gas station. Yes. <laughs> and if I ever like wanted like a real treat, I would get a bottle of Evian. Nice. And now I know it all ties back to Troop Beverly Hills. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Deborah, you're so right. I just celebrated my 40, my 40th birthday a few weeks ago with a night away from my family at a hotel. And I went to the grocery store to like pick up stuff to have in the hotel room. And I'm like, I'm going to treat myself this weekend. I think instead of buying a bottle of <laughs> you know crystal springs or whatever is the local water i'll get an evian and yes. it really did feel so special 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, Phyllis. Oh gosh. <laughs> so that it definitely informed my opinion in a very strong way yeah. about wealthy, powerful women drink Evian. <laughs> <laughs> I think in a more subtle way I think like this movie just kind of reinforced that it's like not okay to be a frivolous vain woman Mm. or as a woman it's not okay to be frivolous and concerned with your appearance because then you'll be not taken seriously Mm. and won't be have the follow-through to accomplish anything yeah you know that's actually a pretty common theme I'm seeing in these interviews is it are you mm-hmm. watching all things that are old or we're doing current stuff too I just recorded okay. with somebody the other night I mean I guess sex in the city isn't that current but it is again because of just and just like yeah. that um and there there is that element of like don't be vapid like you can't you're you know being vapid is bad mm-hmm. it's interesting the other one that when we were talking earlier that comes up a lot too is that you know, it's wealth isn't aspirational for women. That's another thing that a lot of people are saying. Okay. But not in that specific way, like in their version of that way. It's like, no one's ever thought like, I'm going to grow up and be Oprah, or I want to grow up and be financially secure on my own kind of Mm -hmm. thought process, which I think is really interesting too. Yeah. What about you, Katie? I think maybe just in like the stars they're just like us kind of way Mm -hmm. in that this was a relatable story told about a world that I had no no actual experience of or touchstone for yeah so being in California having been to LA a couple of times as a child like to me it felt like oh this is just an extension of my state as a kid right like Mm -hmm. this is just another subculture that exists in my state um and then as I got older when I was like thinking about my future career and things like that it definitely was more of a yeah if I'm gonna like all the writers that I loved like the old Hollywood vibe is all rooted in Beverly Hills so it was like definitely like yeah I want to live in Beverly Hills one day turns out I don't (laughs) that's not appealing to me anymore um but it's interesting that makes me think of the Weezer song Beverly yes (laughs) (laughs) I love that song I love Weezer so much (laughs) um but it's interesting because like for me like I said being a kid in California it turned into like that's the goal not the goal but like that's something that you could want marry up marry well um but then it turned into hey guys that's not all of California like we don't all want to be that. We don't all mm-hmm. look like that. We don't all live in this kind of, you know, gross wealth. And Beverly Hills is just a fraction of like what California is, like how California exists. That's I definitely do- what we all imagined you looked like in the yeah. Midwest. Yeah. I can attest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like the palm trees and like the big yards and mm-hmm. gate, gates going into the mansions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, because when you drive down the highway, because the five is the interstate. So it goes from the border of Canada to the border of Mexico. And so the the in-state highway that we take is called the 99. And so at, there's a point where you, there's a clear split between Northern California and Southern California because where I am, redwoods are a big deal. Like that's a lot of the national, like the state and local for, national forests, the redwoods everywhere. So there's a point when you're driving down the 99 where it goes from a bunch of redwoods and then suddenly there's palm trees and on aligning oh. the highway. So, you know, <laughs> you're like, okay, we've made the switch. <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills is definitely not meant for men like Roger Ebert, as we've firmly established in this conversation. I do want to thank my guests again for joining me today, Katie, Deborah. It's always great to have you two on. We always have such fun conversations. Can you please remind everyone at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online? We didn't talk about who was going to do this. I'll just (laughs) jump right in. Okay, so you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at MyScreenTime2. We also have a Gmail address that gets checked infrequently, (laughs) MyScreenTime2 at gmail.com. And we have a website, MyScreenTime2.com. 
You can find me on Twitter at Katie Complains. And Deborah, are we able, do you want me to give your handle? Sure. And Deborah at Deborah C. And you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. And I can say, friends, like I mentioned earlier, I've been listening to their shows lately. So I think you should too. Um, I will link everything in the show notes. So you have absolutely no excuse to not visit our friends at It's My Screen Time too. Thanks again to my guests. For all of our friends at home, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you in the DMs. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written, edited, and produced by me, Julia Washington, and I am fueled by the incredible support system of women who allow me to run ideas, cry, melt down whenever I feel overwhelmed. I also want to do a big shout out to our Patreon community. Thank you for your continued support. It brings me great joy to bring you quality content and monthly get-togethers. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.